0: Thank you, Melissa, I appreciate that very much. You may have noticed a bit of a theme uh, running through everything that's going on uh, today. Uh, Nick's opening scripture and prayer and the songs and special music, all about Thanksgiving. All of it's following the theme except for me. Uh, <laughs> we are uh, going to finish uh, the final sermon of our series on being on mission. You know, I, I think most Christians would rather be rather excited about this whole idea of, of being on mission if they knew they wouldn't have to say anything to anybody, right? Uh, I mean, we, we want to believe that, you know, living a life that is consistent with the gospel. I mean, not perfect because we know none of us is perfect, but consistent overall. Uh, that's all it takes to be on mission. Um, but then... As we've gone through this series, I'm I'm hoping this concept of intentionally reflecting the the kindness and generosity of God through specific acts of kindness towards people, that that could be a bridge to the gospel. Uh, I'm hoping you like that as well. I mean, that seems like something we can do uh, with uh, enthusiasm and confidence. I mean, we like the idea that God would use us to impact uh, the community around us. And and perhaps through this series, you, you may have been even emboldened. Just a little bit to say at least a little something, you know those those one line uh, what we call seed flinging uh, statements that give God the credit for whatever 's going on in your life you know and, and if you do that as you 're talking with friends, neighbors, coworkers, that type of thing, uh, it, it might take a little bit of nerve at first because maybe it 's a little bit different way of speaking than you have in the past, but you do it once and it gets easier and easier uh, each time uh, from there on out so since you're praying and watching for God to work, uh, maybe you're thinking, okay, I can at least throw out those, those little one-sentence-type statements. But it's what comes next that freaks out so many people, this whole idea of, as the apostle Peter said, of always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. That, that's what worries us. I mean, what if they ask hard questions. What do I say if they want to know how they can be saved? I mean, I don't know all the things I'm supposed to say. Well, today we finally get some answers, hopefully some encouragement uh, in that particular area. So turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 10. Hopefully you're there already. Romans chapter 10. Like last Sunday, we're not going to be able to exegete this entire passage, working through verse by verse, but we'll use it to take some of our uh, uh, main points and themes from. So Romans chapter 10, starting at verse 9, says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scriptures... Scripture says, whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on Him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him whom they have not heard or believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Father God, we are thankful for this opportunity we've had this morning to meet with you in a special way. God, we are thankful that you're with us 24 hours a day, every day, no matter what we're doing. But it's special to be able to come together, to lift our voices in unison, to to praise you, and now to put our minds together to study your word. We just pray, God, that you would speak to us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what do you say if they, and they, of course, being whoever you might be talking with at at that particular moment, uh, what do you say if they ask Questions of, about your faith in, in Jesus. What do you say? Well, I believe that the very first step in this situation is this answer their question. Okay? If they ask, answer. I mean, think about it. If, if somebody asks you a question in any other area of life, right, your, your family, your work, your hobbies, why you're a Miami Dolphins fan, uh, whatever it is, if they ask you a question, what do you do? You, you, you answer them. I mean, that's the nice thing about questions, isn't it? You're not imposing, you're not intruding, you're only responding to a request from them. So when the question is about your faith, well, you you can respond in that same, easy, natural manner that you would if it was a question uh, about any other part of your life. They expect you to say something because they're the ones asking. I mean, it would be the total opposite, right? If we were trying to force a conversation about God and faith, well, then there's always going to be tension and friction in those situations. But when we're just answering a question... Well, There's complete freedom uh, and, and, and an expectation that you're going to share your thoughts, right? I mean, it would be rude not to. So the first step, what if they ask a question? Answer it. Uh, of course, we, we do need to show just a little bit of discernment concerning how and what context the question might be asked in. I mean, if a person is just baiting you for an argument or or, or they're mocking in any way, then it's probably not worth the trouble of trying to answer those questions. I mean, Jesus warned us. He said, do not throw your pearls before swine or they'll trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. No matter how nice a person they might be otherwise, if they're simply looking to argue, looking for a fight, not really looking to learn, if they want to just mock rather than trying to understand, well then at that particular moment at least, they would fit the definition of swine and you might as well avoid those type of confrontations. But by asking a question, they are, giving you permission to talk to them about this subject. So that means there would be no reason to be afraid and every reason to be encouraged. Just answering questions, that's all we have to do. And if God's the one that's working on their heart, then chances are they're going to ask even more questions. And since God is the one that's doing the work in their heart, you still have nothing to fear even if they ask you a really hard question and you don't know the answer to it and you have to admit, I don't know the answer to it. Uh, What's the worst that could happen in that situation? Uh, You know, we've already eliminated the confrontational interactions by not trying to force uh, this conversation on unwilling people. And we're not engaging with those who are just trying to get an argument or mock. So those are already beside the point. We're, we're talking to a person that's genuinely interested. They have given you that permission to talk. So what's the worst? The worst that could happen is that they would say, Oh, you don't know? To which you can reply, Nope. I, I'm still learning and growing like you. And, and that type of of honesty and, and authenticity will actually be a positive and, and refreshing to them. And, and then I, I think there's even more good news. You see, the reality is, in, in almost all of these uh, situations most of the questions that they ask are going to be of a personal nature rather than an academic nature. Okay, Meaning uh, this, y- you don't have to have a Ph.D. in theology in order to answer their complicated and controversial questions because for the most part, most likely, they're going to want to know personal questions. They're going to want to know about you. What's the difference Jesus made in your life? And how that all works in your situation, and guess what? You already know the answers to all that, right? You lived it. You can tell them what the difference is in your life, how Jesus has changed your life. You can talk about what you've experienced and what you've learned because it's your own personal story. And your own personal story is the most powerful seed planting and gospel presentation concept that there is on this planet. I mean, it's really exactly how Jesus uh, indicated that we're supposed to operate. Do do you remember the story of uh, Jesus casting the demons into the into the herd of pigs right he, he was, he was uh, traveling with his disciples across the sea of Galilee to this uh, country of the Gerasenes there and, and he gets on shore and as soon as he gets on shore this demon possessed man who had been living in the graveyard comes running down to meet him and long story short uh, Jesus casts a whole legion of demons out of this guy and, and over into a herd of about 2,000 pigs they, they went and, and, and dwelt well the pigs uh, didn't appreciate that very much and so they all rushed over a cliff into the sea of galilee and drowned which freaked out all the swine herders so they went running back into town and and raised a big commotion there and all the townspeople came running out to see what had happened and when they saw jesus they were afraid of him and what they do get out of here We, we, we don't want anything to do with you leave this place and, and and when they were so Jesus when they were getting ready to leave gets to go back into the boat the guy uh, who who had the demons and been cast out now he's been set free what he want to do he he wanted to get in the boat and go back with Jesus but Jesus didn't allow it here's what he said Gospel Mark of five nineteen but he that's Jesus did not let him but said to him. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. You see, that? The, the townspeople, they had a very negative view of Jesus. They were scared of him. They wanted him out of their country and out of their lives. And Jesus knew that the very best way to reach them was not by him just staying on shore and forcing this conversation and preaching some dynamic sermon, which I'm pretty sure Jesus could have preached a dynamic sermon if he had wanted to at that point. But that's not what he did. The best way to reach them was by this one man sharing his own personal story. Just telling people what God had done for him. And you know what? It worked. The next time that Jesus showed up at that place, uh, it says that, the, that the, the, the people recognized him and they all rushed out to, to meet him, bringing their, their sick and injured and demon-possessed to be healed. Now they wanted Jesus. And it was all because one man stayed and told his story. How much right theology do you think that man had? Man, he just got delivered from a legion of demons. He didn't have time to have any Bible story lessons. All he knew is what Jesus had done for him. That's what Jesus expects of us. I mean, don't, don't worry about all the things that you don't know about the Bible. Instead, focus on what you do know, which is the great things that Jesus has done for you and how the Lord showed you mercy. Tell your own story. That's being a witness because you're talking about you and Jesus. This is what he's done for me. But of course, that still leaves us with one more thing. That is the fear for many people. Well, after you know, being willing to tell my own story and, and answering their questions about that, what if they ask, How can I have what you have? What do I say to them there? And Remember earlier, if you were here earlier in this series, we said the very bottom line message of the Bible. The one they have to know to to respond to salvation and faith is what? Belief in Jesus, right? When when a jailer wanted to know how he could be saved, the response from Paul and Silas was, they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Belief. Uh, Jesus gave the same instructions in John 6, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And in the context, he was talking about himself. He who believes in me has eternal life. But now, of course, the question is for us, Well, what exactly does that mean, and how do we explain that to someone? I mean, if you you tell someone, uh, oh, you just have to believe in Jesus, and they say, okay, I believe He was real, does that mean they're saved? Obviously not. That's not what the Bible is referring to when it talks about belief in Jesus. It is, it is much more than an intellectual assent to a reality of his existence. And that truth is really explained in multiple passages in the Bible, but especially in Romans 10 that we're looking at today. And, and as we go back to our verses, at first glance, it might appear that these verses are requiring an extra condition other than just belief in order to be saved. I mean, look at what verse 9 says. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, so now, does that mean that you, you now have to do two things? You, you have to believe something, but you also have to confess something out loud? And then if you add verse 10 to it, it might really seem to be that way, right? Because it says, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So now are these verses contradicting what Jesus had said earlier about if you believe you're saved, or or all the other many passages that talk about belief and faith being the only requirement for salvation? uh, Is this a contradiction? And and the answer, of course, is no. The Bible does not contradict itself. See, what these two verses are doing is uh, fleshing out for us the biblical concept of belief. In the Bible, belief is never isolated to simply something that you intellectually agree to, in your mind. It is never about just what you think or feel. Belief is about trusting God and therefore living by that truth. And that's actually what is meant when it says confess with your mouth. The idea is not just that you say certain words, confessing by your mouth meant to live by it it was a say a way of saying that all my actions are lining up and will line up with this truth it wasn't just saying something it was living by that and, and we can see uh, that belief means living even in jesus own words right because the same jesus who says believe and you will be saved, also said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. See, Jesus was not contradicting himself. He wasn't changing his mind now and adding some more requirements onto salvation. Rather, he was just showing, displaying, proving that biblically belief is not belief unless it results in action right? Belief is not belief unless it results in action. There's, there's an old object lesson that is uh, frequently used to, to illustrate this point. I mean, if you came walking into some place and, I mean, you are just worn out and dog tired and I just need to sit down and someone says, oh, here I got a nice stool. You can sit on this stool. It's a, it's a great stool, a sturdy stool. It'll work, it'll work wonderful for you. And that person says, oh, yeah, that looks like a well-built, real sturdy stool. I believe that that stool would would be the perfect seat for me and, 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 and would support me and hold me up as I sit down and rest my weary feet. But if you refuse to sit on the stool, what would that say about your belief? Could you in any way be said to truly believe if you didn't Follow through and sit on the stool. See, no matter how much you might verbally agree, intellectually affirm that it is a sure, a reliable, functional uh, stool, and you believe, if you don't sit down, you don't believe. Biblically, belief in means acting upon. And, And confessing with your mouth was a way of describing your actions. So these two statements, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, they're simply two sides of the same coin, not two different requirements. And I think that becomes very clear when you add verse 10 on, right? For verse 10 says, for with the heart, right, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. He's not talking about two different things, just one. and, and, And that is evident when you ask yourself a simple question. Can you have one without the other? Can a person receive God's righteousness but not be saved? Or flip it the other way around. Is it possible for you to get saved but not receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ? The Bible makes it clear that that would be an impossibility. To get saved means to be made righteous. To be made righteous is Salvation. It's all one and the same thing. So, now, thinking about our main point for today, how much right theology does a person have to have in order to get saved? You know, if you're afraid, I don't know what to tell people if they ask me about how to get saved. How, how much right theology do they have to have? You mean if you've been out there praying and watching? flinging uh, seeds of the gospel, bringing God into conversation in natural, non-threatening ways. You've been building bridges with people by listening to them, caring for them, uh, showing them acts of love and kindness. Uh, And now you're talking with someone that wants to know how they can have a relationship with Jesus like you do. What's the bottom line? Uh, With that bottom line of belief in Jesus, the question is exactly What do they need to believe? What do you need to be able to share with them? And again, our verses here let us know what it is. Look look at verse 9 and how it starts. If you confess with your mouth what? Jesus as Lord. It's emphasizing who Jesus is. He's not a mere man. He's not just a great teacher. He's not even just a, a wonderful example for us To follow, he is God, he is master, he is Lord. To confess he is Lord is to acknowledge Jesus' place of divine and sovereign power and authority. And that verse makes it very personal. You're confessing with your mouth, meaning he is my Lord. You're saying that he has the right of ownership and master uh, uh, over your life. To get saved means putting Jesus in charge of your life. He's the boss. He is Lord. And then verse 9 goes on to say that we must also believe that God raised Him from the dead. So the first requirement is to believe who Jesus is. This, this is who He is. The second phrase tells us to believe what He did for us. You know, Rising from the dead is just a summary statement of all that Jesus did. you think about that? I mean, really, it's pretty hard to raise, uh, rise from the dead. Uh, unless you were first put to death. And it's pretty hard to be put to death unless you were first alive. And it's pretty hard to be alive unless you were first born. So this is a summary statement of all, right? Uh, You've got the, the virgin birth, the life of Christ, His sacrificial death on the cross, His burial, and His resurrection. So that way when verse 13 says, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, it means that whoever is willing to recognize and accept who Jesus is and what He has done for them will be saved. Jesus is Lord, and He paid the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross, and He rose from the dead uh, over the grave, victorious over death. Because of His death, our sins can be forgiven. Because of His resurrection, eternal life is ours. Because of all that he has done and who he is, we can be saved. And that's why verse 11 then declares, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. It's really not that hard to tell people the good news. See, if we're patiently waiting for God to work in a person's heart, that means when they start asking questions, it's the Holy Spirit who is already doing His job, which is convicting them of sin, right? All we have to do is confirm what God is telling them in their heart. And they will want to know how they can be forgiven and, and, and gain true righteousness. Uh, telling them the good news is just the climax and the reward for being on, on mission, right? Witnessing is telling your story, what Jesus has done for you, making a disciple is telling His story who Jesus is and what He's done for us. And it's a pretty simple story, right? We sinned. He came. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. He rose from the dead to offer forgiveness and salvation. That's the story right there. And by believing in Him, you will be saved. And that brings us down to verse 17, right? So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. At some point, a person has to hear the good news in order to respond to it. But God made it very simple so that each and every one of us can share it. Our our sins separates us from God. But God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for those sins. And for us, if we believe on Him, meaning acknowledge Him as Lord and Master of our lives, He will forgive our sins, make us right with God, and give us eternal life. That is all the right doctrine a person needs to know in order to be saved. That's all you have to know in order to be able to share with someone. Is there much more scripture that fills that out and tells us more detail? Sure. But that's what we're all in the process of learning and growing every day. These are all the questions you need to know to answer. All you have to know is that Jesus saves. Let's pray. Father God, I do uh, ask that you would just plant deep in our heart the simplicity of the gospel. And God, as we learn to interact with people in this positive way, waiting for the Holy Spirit to work and then responding to those opportunities that you bring. Give us a confidence, God, because we know what you've done in our lives already. We can share that. And we know your story, what you've done to make that possible for us. So, Father, we pray that you would give us a boldness, give us discernment of of when to see when you're working, and a willingness to jump in and be on mission with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want one final song as we close off, and just remind you that the prayer room is open. If you've any-